uh, of today, Rav Shach, who spent so many years in Bnei Brak. Bnei Brak in the summer is is really something. So uh, if you think that you're sweating, think about all the Bnei Teira and Bnei Brak and what they're used to um, and how they keep at it. So let's try to have some of that that gumption and attitude and try to concentrate despite the heat that we have in the room today. Uh, even though in, chronologically Rav Shach would have probably been the, uh, the first one we spoke about and Rav Steinman the last, um, I felt that I needed a little bit of prep time uh, till we got to uh, be able to be Myra Rav Shach uh, properly. And I'm not sure even if we're going to be able to do it in, in, in one or two sessions. Um, when we talk about a, a life that was as, I, I wouldn't say the eventful, as much as involved in so many issues. Um, I, I refer to Rav Shach here, um, and, okay, I didn't, somebody can put some stuff away from me, sorry, without, it's fine. Um, I, I refer to Rav Shach uh, as the warrior for life, and um, I think it's very apropos, um, not just because I came up with it. I think it's a... Uh, <laughs> And because he actually was a warrior, uh, there's no question about it. Unlike Rav Steinman, who we talked about sometimes being, you know, a voice of moderation, and and, and Rav Shach, I don't think anybody would call him a moderate. Uh, there's an interesting quote. I guess I can start out with. I mean, there's so much, really, but I'll start off with this quote that um, this author. Um, Let's see, do I have it here? Yes. Um, Avishai ben Chaim, who weren't in, uh, he weren't in the Tiv Mayor, he weren't in a, in a Mizrahi type yeshiva, he ended up, he ended up writing, um, a biography, an intellectual biography of Rav Shach. And, uh, he actually, uh, is known as a religious man who was sort of like, the go-to person to explain the Haredim to the uh, to the centrist and the leftist. So uh, he's written a sefer. I was a, a book about Rav a sefer about Rav I wasn't able to get pages from it, but I did find what Avishai ben Chaim Avishai uh, ben Chaim writes, and he wrote it, I think, right after Rav Shach's death. Uh, and I guess it was in the Adiyat Achronot, and you can see here there's the web page from that. And um, take a look at this uh, quote from Rav Shach. He says, Chovoso Shomanik. Everybody see it up here on the board? Chovos. Let's see if we get it correctly here. Um, despite uh, the aids to take it, I think, I, I think I'm just, I think just, just a couple of, uh, of the falafel balls is fine. And the, and the rice and the, and that looks perfect. That looks perfect. Thank you. Oh, that rice, great. Okay. Fork by fork. Okay, so Chivaso Shel Manig, take a look what he says here. A chova of a manig is liot bal machlokas. Wow. <laughs> That's part of Rashach. He says it's a chova to be, to actually fight, to be a warrior. He says, Vichi Oser Lamanig, Lachshos Mavakim. He says, You think I shouldn't be worried about getting involved and in, 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 embroiled in, in, in difficulties and fights, so to speak, and struggles? This is a quote from Rav Shach. I don't know how it's possible to be sort of like 
a tzaddik who's quiet and people come to him just for brochas and or or they don't even know him to be such a great tzaddik. How is it possible? If there's somebody who's just hiding in his corner, he covers himself up in his jacket. How can you call that person a tzaddik? He seems to be primarily concerned that he should have a yom and learn Torah. He says, it's not such a big chokhmah to agree with everyone. And again, this is sort of such a typical a quote from Rav Shach, and I guess it needs to be understood because it, it, go, it goes against the grain of what we think. And yet, I think it's true. He uh, clearly saw himself as, as a fighter. Um, now, again, living 101 or 102 years as he did, um, obviously there were different tkufas in his life. I happened to, um, and I read, I've, I've been reading a number of, of biographies and uh, estimates about Rav Shach's life. I, I do want to share with you a couple of things before we get to um, the situation that occurred, I guess, uh, probably in the mid, you know, the, the beginning of the 70s uh, is when he really rose to prominence to really become uh, authoritative. Um, I should say also it's interesting that I, I think it, it actually aligned with uh, a surgery that happened to him uh, and and this is uh, thanks to Mitch who gave me the Maramokam Menachem gave me the Maramokam um, from 1972 after he after he went through a, uh, uh, a difficult surgery uh, the doctors told him that he needed to change his lifestyle and he needed to lose weight and he needed to change what his eating habits and of course this was someone who had survived um a long time and just by being able to eat what he could and he says I'm committed to that because I and, and he did change his lifestyle to the point that he became you know almost a tremendous fealty to the doctors and listening to them and I have some stories here which we can take a look at but it was a commitment that he's going to make the most out of his life and he's going to have that type of discipline and I think it was interesting that that change that occurred in about 1972 really aligns with when he really gets the role of being the the manig of 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 the Haredi world. When did Reb Moshe pass away? So Moshe, Reb Moshe passed away in 1985, I think it was, 86. Yeah, yeah. So the Haredi world in, in, in Eretz Yisrael. And he started, at that time, we started getting, printing the Shmuzim and the Maimarim Rav Shach up until that time, up until the mid-70s, Rav Shach was known mostly, I brought the Sefer here, uh, mostly for being two things, the Rashiv of Ponovich, and even before he became Rashiv of Ponovich, he had started printing the Sefer, which came out in a number of editions, four or five, or five editions of the Sefer Avi Ezri, which is a beer on the Rambam. We're going to get a chance to take a look at some of that today. Um... It's uh, interesting that after so much that he went through, you know, it was. Yeah. Take a, just actually, just give me that the the sefer Rabbi Ezri there for a second. So, if you look in the Shardaf of the sefer, and this was um, right, this this uh, this came out in 1956, and it's true with even the one right. And he writes here in this, in almost all the editions, uh, he writes in the Shardaf. 
Um, the Vabolnik, right? Vabolnik, that's where he was from. Vabolnik, Ka'ace Bivne Brak. Now, Vabolnik, I, I didn't do so much research on it, and they used to call him the Vabolniker. That's what they called him, or the Vabolniker, Ely. But he says, I'm from Lita. <laughs> you know what he says? He says, You know who I am? I'm a, a Lezer Menachem Shach. Ben Rabbazio Shach, Mivabolnik. I happen to be now, Bivne Brak. Now, I don't know how many from the yeshivas and Yidin there were in Bavolnik. Probably percentage-wise, it was probably pretty strong, I guess, if it's a little shtetl. But it definitely didn't match the, 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 what we, we know is the magnificence of B'nai Brak and Justin Ponovich itself. And yet, Rashach said, I'm from Lita. I represent Lithuania. I represent that world. And of course, if you're gonna, as we're going to see today, he, he constantly quotes the Gedeum of that world, not only the Briskirov, which with who he was close to in Eretz Yisrael as well, but Rabbi Sir Zalman, who was his 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 wife's uncle, um, the, uh, the when we the, the uh, Ponovich Rov, not not Rav Kahaneman, but the Rabbi of Ponovich, the Zecher Yitzchok. Um, and a number of other rabbonim from that world, he, and he was he was zeichah to see the chavetz chaim and others, and he's constantly actually referring to that world. He was, you know, in many ways made them made that world come to life and make it real uh, for the yeshiva bachram that came of age in the seventies and eighties and nineties. Those bachram who heard his shmuzim and heard him speak about these people, and I think uh, it, it wasn't to him so much. Um, Eretz Yisrael is we are wiping the slate clean and now we have a chance to do things we haven't done before which is the attitude of many in Eretz Yisrael um, uh, Rav Shach felt no, here's where we can actually continue the real Torah mentality that was true in Lita and um, he made those. He made you believe that this that was possible uh, to continue that way. It's interesting that in um, in 1951, he was called. He had been actually a uh, uh, a, a rebbe in a number of places. How he got, to, how he was able to escape Europe and come to Eretz Yisrael, I don't have enough details about, uh, and I am sorry. But I know that in Eretz Yisrael, obviously he was in Yerushalayim and other places. I heard that he was also a, uh, a Rosh Hashiva or a Magid Shia, wherever he could find a place, even in a Bnei Akiva uh, type of yeshiva. Uh, and it was only in 1951, uh, after Ponovich had been formed, I guess a couple of years, or a couple, of, I can't know the exact date, but he was called to be the third Rosh Hashiva there. The Ponovich Rav of Kahneman felt that he he would round out uh, the Tsevet of the Rosh Hashiva. And we all know, again, before we move on, that Ponovich is the Harvard of Yeshivas. Ponovich is really, again, I learned in Mir. And I remember the attitude of the Ponovich guys to us. Uh, there weren't many Americans in Ponovich, um, uh, and hardly any in Hebron. But we were in Mir, there were a lot of Ponovichers. There's actually more percentage-wise of the big B'nai Brak yeshivas when I was learning in the 70s. Uh, Slabotka had a lot of American kids. Um, and, of course, the, you know, Koltor and other places like that. But in the big yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael, Ponovich... It had very few Americans, and if there was an American in Ponovich, we knew he was somebody super special. 
Again, the Americans just go to brisk as well. What? So to get into Bonovich is like, wow, you really got into it. So it's like, uh, so just to explain to you, the Bonovich is, is, was, was the spitz of, of the yeshivas. And I, clearly, Rav Shach would not have been able to make that leap, despite his age, despite the fact that he was close to Rav Yerzuzalman, Rav Aden, Kotler, Zetzal, and all the other gedolim that he had connection to. And despite you know, the popularity or significance of his sefer, I think the Boma with which he arose to become the manig and the leader, obviously it was part of his personality, but also it's because he was able to say, hey, I come from the greatest bastion of Tyre, which was in Ponovich. Now, I, I did my research over Shabbos, and I found uh, a person who learned in, I don't want to say his name here on the tape, but he learned in Ponovich in the early, in the mid-50s, and remembers the three Rosh Hashivas, that of course there was uh, Reb David Pavarsky, his son Ribeiro is still the Rosh there now, uh, and um, Rav Kahneman was not officially, didn't actually act as Rosh was sort of like the founder of the yeshiva. He was like the nasi of the yeshiva. You he didn't say... Like right, but he didn't come and say shir every day. He didn't say no. shiurim. The shiurim, right, the shiurim were done by these three men, and every day, it was like every couple, every day they gave a shiur two or three times a week, and that was the way the yeshiva worked. Shmuel Razovsky was the youngest of the Rosh yeshivas. And I remember when I was learning in Mir at the time, there was always this debate, like, you know, you have this debate, uh, Fraser Ali, uh, or who's the best? I think Bachlikas was, is there a Shmuel Razovsky or Nochem Partsovich, right? That was, that was the question among the Bachem. Like, who has the best Magid Shir in Eretz Yisrael? Was it Rav Nochem? That was by us, Rav Nochem Partsovich, Rav Nochem Troker. It was a Shmuel Razovsky. Um, Did you guys I, flip their trading cards? Um, you know, these, this, this is like a fiction about these Gedolim cards. They really only started very late. I never I, saw a Gedolim card when I was growing up. I know, but the point was is that but we all talked about it. Like, we all would say, yeah, I learned in Mir, we have Rav Nochem. And they would say, well, you go to Ponovich, then you really know how to learn, because you learn from Rav Shmuel Razovsky. I have to say, again, I learned by Rav Nochem, and I learned the Svar from Rav Shmuel Razovsky. Um, they're very different. But Rosh Morozovsky's Svarim are incredible, and I can see why people's minds were really blown. And that was the most popular shear. Favarsky, but what this person told me was that Roshach, people didn't go to his shear. They didn't like it. He was not a popular Magid shear. In fact, this person told me an interesting thing, that the Panovicherov, that uh, the Rav Kahneman, you know, the Rav who created the yeshiva, and this is very interesting, because you'll hear why. Um, he made sure that in Ponovich, which of course was for post-high school students, there would always be a quarter of the places open for students who had gone to the Yishuv HaChodosh, Tachorev. There were a number, let me explain what those places are. Those are places outside of Yerushalayim. <laughs> okay. I can make another shear about this, but there was a cheyrim in Yerushalayim heading back from the till the time from the time of the Mariel Diskin. and this cheyrim meant that you cannot learn lamudecho in Yerushalayim. Now there were, of course, plenty of schools that did it, including Chorif, but many of the schools that wanted to um, not rock the boat in terms of the cheyrim would, even though they were Yerushalmi families, 
they would send their students to yeshivas that had incredible lemude chol in the afternoon, and they were outside of Yerushalayim. One of the places outside of Tel Aviv, or in Tel Aviv proper for a while, but then outside of Tel Aviv, was called Hayishu Vachadash. My wonderful Chavrus Ram Kuperman, who was Rab Kuperman's son, who was a Machabras Farim and a, 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 a very respected person in Mir, was in that yeshiva. Many others, you might know the edit, the one who put the notes on the Maral, Yeshua Hartman, you might have seen the Maral with, with a complete set of notes. Many, many, there's many, those are the graduates that are my age. But for years, that was the smartest kids were there. So the, the Panovich, Rav Kahneman felt, look, let's leave room for them. This way, 25%, we're going to get these smart kids. I, I, whether I agree with them going to that school or not, that's, that doesn't care. But their parents are great, the kids are wonderful. Let's have this type of student with us, a student who has actually uh, solidified his mind <laughs> and was, obviously comes from bright parents and is, is committed to Torah. Rav Shach, one of the things he pushed away was that that ended. When Rav Shach came in and became Rosh Hashiva, he, said, he took a stand and said, anyone who had been part of a Lamude Chol institution, even for high school, as we're talking about, like high school age, we're not going to let into Ponovich. Or the tainted? Right. We don't, because who knows, this is, that's not the derech of Yisrael Saba, that's not the derech of what Klau Yisrael was. It's something that was adapted and was something that was forced upon us. If we have to, Nebuch, if they had to accept it in certain places, they needed to, but we're not going to accept it in our yeshiva. And um, this is what this Rav, uh, this, this person who had been, who is now a very respected Rav, who told me about his stay in Ponovich, that there was, Rav Shach was not known as Mr. Nice Guy. Rav Dova Favarsky people came over to and, and spoke with. Every, Rav Shmuel Razovsky was extremely charismatic. So it's interesting that in these 20-something years before Rav Shach takes the stage, I know that he was definitely respected. The question is, what his influence in the yeshiva was? Uh, obviously, afterwards, he, he remains Rosh Hashiva until he's 100 and something years old. He was officially still the Rosh Hashiva. But I believe that even in Punovich, he was the hardliner. And he was the one who was trying to defend against what he saw as um, external influences. You see it in his Torah. He, his shark kite is, right. is legendary. Right, right, right. We're going to... Clearly, when you know, yeah, it's, there's no, there's no hiding from him. Okay, so we know that when, when he does take the reins and he starts giving the shvuzim and he starts pushing for changes, there's there's in, internal and external. Uh, one of the things that Rav Shach made a tremendous campaign from the seventies till he till almost till the late nineties already. You can already see maybe to the early nineties, but is that he wanted to uh, change the Derech HaLimud in yeshivas. And we, we have some material about that as well. Rav Shach was not happy with the pace of learning. He felt it was really against <coughs> what learning was about. He thought that there had become this over-romanticism of what Lumdus was, and it had actually inserted itself into the yeshivas at a young age. And I'll show you some of the very strong words about that. The other thing, of course, was on the external front. Um, Rav Shach uh, felt that the Haredim 
I have to realize that we have an enemy. And the enemy, of course, is the secular Zionist government. Now, they are our enemy, and they do try to, especially the labor uh, and, and many of the left, they are promoting a sense of being a Jew without keeping Torah and mitzvahs, that there's a way to have a Jewish identity without fealty to, to, to the Dukei HaAlocha and to know about the Rabbi Nishayim, which he felt was uh, was Kfir Amamish, and, 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 and most people would agree with him. But what he also understood was that we need to become proactive politically. And uh, we can't just say that, like the Satmer, that we hate the Medina, and we're not connected, we don't vote, we don't take anything from them. What we need to do is become a voting block, and we have to show, uh, we, have to, we have to flex our muscles. And uh, Rav Shach, uh, encouraged everyone, even people who are on the fence. We have to vote. We have to vote specifically. Now, um, of course, Agudas Yisrael, which is what all the Haredim were part of. You know, there was Chassidim there and the Haredim. They were all part of the Aguda. The Aguda already in Europe was famous. I mean, it, it, it combined. And Yanko appreciate this, of course. It, it combined the best of the German organizations with the Varmkeit of the Chassidim, with the brilliant uh, commitment to Torah of the Lithuanians. So in, in, in Europe, there was a sense of achdus of what the Aguda was about. The Aguda, that's what that's what's called. Aguda, that's what's called. Aguda is Israel. Uh, yeah. Now, what what starts to happen? Um, you know, other than you know, Rav Shach uh, po- uh, agitating for much more political involvement in the seventies, um, he also finds himself at odds with people who who wield a strong hand in the Aguda. Um, I think probably we could say that one of the things that came up, and it's I can send you some email, uh, some more information about this. Is what happens uh, in you know in seventy seven and seventy eight uh, with the Menachem Begin. Menachem Begin becomes prime minister, and it's interesting that Rav Shach, I, I, a friend of mine who uh, is my one of my gurus in history, uh, I mentioned his name before, Rav David Katz. Uh, I said, "What's going to be my hook?" I mean, I, I hear so much about Rav Shach. He says, "Well, if I were you, I would talk about Rav Shach and Begin." I would talk about, I'd start off with Rav and Beg and how he had a very strong uh, influence on Begin. And, uh, because Begin, of course, was uh, very conflicted at the Camp David Accords, as you know. And there was the idea that they would have to uh, give up land for peace, <coughs> give up parts. And, of course, Begin did give some, Begin, of course, did make concessions, as we know. What? Right. So um, Begin was actually hearing the from voices, especially the ones, and this became one of the strong points of uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Lubavitcher Rebbe Zetzal was extremely uh, strong about not giving an inch on the territories. The territories, anything that was conquered that was part of Eretz Yisrael, um, that cannot be given, and it's usher, and it's it's, it's against right, it's against the Torah, and it's it's wrong. And many of the Chassidish and the Lubavitch, of course, are very very strong willed themselves. And here is where Rav Shach started to be chaylik with the Rebbe. Rav Shach actually sent a message. We have the letter uh, to Begin, where he says, "I'll pi halacha, 
you are allowed to give up. He says, he says this is not, uh, we don't have our own malchus, this is not the halachas of the Rambam, uh, which apply to when we have our own government according to Torah. He says we have to do what it is, what's necessary for peace, for pikulach nefesh, and pikulach nefesh is the And he says if people tell you that the Torah tells you you can't give up, they're wrong. So he was actually the voice of against the Lubavitcher Rebbe and speaking to Begin. Now this really indicated, I believe, that there was a lot that he was not happy with with the Hasidic Shavelt. Um, now, I'm not going to, let's not talk about Bells and Gare and the others, because um, there I think Rav Shach could have had a, uh, you know, Rav Shach could have gotten along with them. But I think Rav Shach's main was, 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 Chabad. The, was Chabad. The, the influence of Chabad, and not only in the Mitzoyim, but in general, you know, the strength of Chabad and the, the Shittas of Chabad, especially when Rav Shach was convinced that they were a splinter group in Klal Yisrael. He was convinced that the type of, um, even though, again, he was a charismatic person that said he represented Das Teira, but he thought that the way the Hasidim were machnia themselves to the Rebbe was itself a, a, a aspect almost of Avodah Zorah, and it was clearly, he called them the Kat, just like the Chafetz Chaim was known to refer to them as the Kat, and Lubavitch, he called them. Yes, yes. What's the Kat? Okay, so we'll talk about Right. Right. It's Bavust. Again, we'll talk about. Okay. Okay. So we'll get to that in a different class. But it was a duo. Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim said, even though he Chavetz Chaim preached Shalom with all the Chassidim, he says Chutz from the Mekat. Okay. So the difference, of course, was is that in Chabad. There was an idea that the Rebbe's words are divrei lekem chayim mamish. That what the Rebbe say isn't just he knows because he's a tzaddik, and a tzaddik knows, but that the tzaddik actually goes beyond being just one of the tzaddikim that that, that you're going to save stoyim with. We're talking here about a tzaddik who's infallible, and a tzaddik who really who's, who's, who has koychas. Me'ain the Tanoim and Amaroyim, which of course is in Chabad Svarim. Is that different than someone living in Moshim? The Rebbe's good in Moshim? Why is it different? That's a good question. Uh, again, obviously in the Litvish world, you know, they have an idea of right? That the idea is, is that Moshim are for people that are primitive, right? They had an idea that they, that they didn't write, that Moshim were not that significant. Um, and that if you believe with Moifis, that you basically you, you're, it's it's if you believe based on miraculous, you know, wondrous things, you're actually off the derech as well. But I think his argument was is that the charismatic personality, a cult of the personality, to the point that there were new things that the Rebbe would be saying. For example, that you can't you know land for peace. Right again, we, I'm not saying Kahana wouldn't agree with the Rebbe, but Rav Shach felt that the Rebbe was imposing his own das on the Torah, and um, he, especially when the Rebbe started uh, after the '70s and the '80s, constantly. And again, again, I can show you these articles. These are, are a matter of the public record, and they were all brought to Rav Shach. 
that the Rebbe is talking about being Mashiach, that the Rebbe is, is implying that he is the Mashiach, he became the Mashiach, and it, it became not just something people said privately, it became publicly, and this Rav Shach felt was really out of bounds. And again, I, I actually, right before I got here, um, when I was this morning, I, I've been I've been spent I've been trying to find it for a couple of days, but I found a lot of the Chabad Rabbonim who've written anti sforum on Rav Shach. Now it's not against him personally, but it's actually on the Sefer Avi Ezri. So they really they, they take pieces of the Avi Ezri and they say I don't know what he's talking about. Here he makes a mistake, and who believes what this man is saying? But it's it's really fun to read, and Mirza Hashem will give some pieces of it after I have a chance to go through it. But there was this machlekes with Chabad to the point that the that he says I'm gonna he says that the Agud he gave the Agud an ultimatum. He says either take either um, uh, um, put. Uh, isolate Chabad from yourselves or we're going to break away. Lit- I'm going to get all the Litvisha to leave the Agudas Yisrael. Go back to Lithuania. Yeah. And the Chassidim didn't want to do that. Uh, the Belzers were willing to do it, but everybody else said no, and therefore Shach started. He says, we're starting our own place, we're starting our own Moisid called our own political party called Degelatera, and this is going to be about Lithuanian Judaism. Um, Rav Shach also um, uh, got involved, and he, even though he didn't want Ben Akiva, he didn't want Yishev Achodosh people there, he made sure Panovich would take in Sfardim. And the Sfardim, especially, Rekhav Adas and others who were very, who had gone to Sfardish, uh, you know, smaller schools, but the big yeshivas, for example, you know, Parat Yosef, which is where Chacham Avadi went, and many of these other places. <laughs> It wasn't as, uh, part of the term wasn't as sexy as, as Panovich because, you know, there they learned Alpi the Sfardish Derech, and Panovich you had the superstars, and Rav Shach sort of created a, uh, a following among Sfardish Bachrim that he wanted to come there. And, and there was, uh, a, 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 they siphoned some of the best kids because who else, who wouldn't want to be in Panovich, right? So you started getting, uh, after those graduates, went to Panovich and became Rabbonim in Sfardisha places, they started looking like Litvisha. They started you know, a, a abandoning the, the typical Sfardi dress. You look at old pictures of Chochem Avadia, even Rabbi Tzian Abishol, who was, he doesn't look like a typical Haredi Rav, but they started adapting hook, line, and sinker, the Litvisha approach, and Rav Shach knew that the Sfardim, and again, I'm not going to uh, imply why he did it, I think he was doing it with Shem Shamayim, but he ended up getting a stronghold in the Svardisha world. And Rashach was one of the architects and one of the people who pushed very strongly to create the Svardim as a voting block, which he thought they could include. He was okay with, in fact, I, I believe they were miyayats with him about what to do. Chocham Avadya really owed Rashach a favor in some ways, because Chocham Avadya in the early 70s when I was in Eretz Yisrael, was not uh, as accepted in uh, the Haredi world. I remember uh, when I was learning in um, I, Mir was so crowded, so I used what was <laughs> well even in my time when it was only one building. So I used to spend a lot of time in a base meters down the street in Beis Yisrael. Um, 
because I, I, many times I, st- I had a whole seder. I stayed up all night, and because uh, th- there was no room in the base medrash, so my chavrus and I would be mahapach the seder. We would we would we would learn from twelve to about five thirty, whatever Vasikan was. The winter was later, and then I would go daven. So, so I started davening the kosel every day. But then, okay, it sort of wore off the, the, the beauty of the Kotel every day, as, as great as that was. But there was a Vasikan minion in Beis Yisrael. And I would daven uh, in the Vasikan minion. And then I'd learn after davening. And then I'd go to sleep for about three hours. And then I'd wake up for three and a half hours. And I'd wake up for Rav Nochem Shir. So that was, that was my Seder for the winter's man that I learned in Mir. So... As I'm learning at Beis Yisrael, I they have some svarim. I, I like svarim. I didn't know so much about them as I do now, and I see this. I see the Chazon Avadia. I see the svarim from Chacham Avadia, and there's X's all over them. People had 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 marked against them, like the Sefer was there, but some. And and I I asked people, you know, how could people be against Chacham? This is this this is like an encyclopedia of great knowledge. Why should people be against this? And there was he was not. Necessarily accepted. He was in the Rabbanut. He was too, so close to Rabbanut. He had he had psokim that he was matir certain things. Rav Shach made sure that they would be partners. That the Litvish world, Degalatera and Shas, would be partners. He was he was very much promoting Rav Chochmavadia to be a, a, a power and for Shas to become a voting uh, power. And he pushed it, and and again, it took off on its own. But the point here is, is that I'm going to get to Tyre in a second, Mitch. Don't worry. So, so this 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 going to what happened was is that what happened was is that is that Rav Shach, uh felt that he sort of helped create um, that he sort of helped create Shas, and of course, Shas didn't use Chacham Avadia as their point man. They used Ari Dairi, right? Ari Dairi was the he was the, the main political person. He was the one who got the votes. He was the one who headed the party. And they did incredible things, you know, really changing the Spartish world, uh, you know, in, in, in great measure. Um, but Rav Shach was insistent that they do not go in, only go with the Likud governments, only go with the right wing. Uh, Rav Shach felt that even though these right wingers, they're not in yeshivas and then they don't they don't really care about, but at least they're not publicly saying how terrible we are. In other words, the leftists talk about us in the most disparaging, and they in their public speeches they say, you know, this is this is primitive, ugly, parasitic Judaism. Whereas the right wing, okay, they, they might, whatever they think in their hearts, they're not saying it. And therefore, Rav Shach felt that they were, you could be political bedfellows with them, but chas v'sholem to ever go in with anything that he considered on the left. When Rav Ari Deri, when Ari Deri, who, I don't know if he learned in Ponovich, he might have, I'm not sure, I don't know if he did, I'm not going to say that he did, but when Rav Ari Deri, uh, in 1992, when the when um, Paris came to go, Paris came into uh, control. Rav Shach felt that, and, and they and they were able to get the coalition due to Shas. Rav Shach felt that that was that they had been they'd been yitzed themselves from Klaus. They'd been mishtatif with with our enemies, and um, 
supposedly Rav Shach, although I didn't, I said he wasn't such the. He cried over this. He felt because this could have, this could have really led. He felt they would be used. It's a Bavustazach that um, the dairy, although he was a very big player in the government, the dairy um, went uh, to jail and for some corruption charges, whatever it was, I guess you can find corruption. We're in Newark over here, so corruption charges are like, but when Derry went to jail, um, uh, he asked Mechila from Rav Shach. He knew when he was going because the Shmuel was that Rav Shach, when they spoke to Chaim Kanyevsky, they said, you know, Derry has done so much. Derry has done tremendous things for, for the Jewish people. He's done a lot for Shalom. He says, I don't deny that he did a lot for Shalom. But if you, the, the one tear, even one tear that he made Rav Shach come out of his eyes, he says, covers that up. So again, here's Rav Shach uh, marshalling his forces, fighting against Chabad, fighting against Shas that he created, and he felt they were off. And similarly, he actually took aim in his writings and shmuzim against modern orthodoxy in America. Um, he knew that America was responsible for for supporting. Many times Rav Shach, and, and this is part of one of his uh, famous uh, statements, is that youth, you know, Eretz Yisrael is an illusion. The, the Israeli strength is an illusion. That's part of what he. That's part of what he. What, what he told Begin. He said, "Look, we need all the political uh, help we can get. If we didn't have America helping us, we would we would fall." He said, you know, Rav Shach spoke out constantly and said, there's people who have the shita of, that we are a strong country and we have our own power base. He says, it's all sheker. And he said, the fact that the Medina was created is not a sign of special hashgocha. Rav Shach was famous, and again, I, have, I can show you, he even said something similar in 1948 when he wrote his Sefer, when he talks about the Holocaust. And he talked about the fact that there is no haftocha this idea that, that, that once we have the Medina, we're never going to be destroyed, he says it could happen again. And Rav Shach said that, that, that to believe that since politically they were able to create this country, that means that we're somehow over, super protected. And he says this is completely wrong. And it could happen again. Um, he says there could be even another Shoah. He said that. He said that at a shmooz. Uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe came down very strong on that. And there was a lot of, uh, uh, he, he dedicated a whole bunch of sikhos showing, the Lubavitch Rebbe did, that the Kedoshe Shoah is special and the Shoah is a unique event in human history. Shach, again, was staying the way he did. Similarly, when it came to, like I said, he knew America was responsible. In fact, that's what he said. He said if American money didn't come in, he says, you really think, he says, the yeshivas and everything would exist. It's only because the American money is, is the American money is, 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 is propping up the government, and the American rich Jews are also supporting us. He says, this is, this is an illusion to think that we really have something separate and independent. So, why, again, when, when Rav Shach was given uh, the book of it was it was written in Hebrew Yiddish ri- r- r- originally called Fear Drosh's, which are four speeches that Rav Salvechi gave at the Zionist conference uh, during the fifties and early sixties in America. It was translated in Hebrew to Chamesh Drashot, and Rav Salvechik 
spoke about his shittas and on why he believes in Eretz Yisrael and and Rav Shach, and I couldn't find it online, but I have copies of it at home somewhere in some some shelf. Rav Shach took, takes on Rav Salvechik, and he he takes on Rav Salvechik not in halacha but in drush. And again, part of what Rav Salvechik says there is everybody remembers if you, is that the um, that Yosef Atzadik, the Machlokas Yosef and his brothers, is basically a Machlokas similarly to the Machlokas that the 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 Chovet Zion had with the rest of the Torah world, that uh, Yosef knew that he needed uh, the dream showed him that Klal Yisrael needed to change, that the Vnei Yisrael needed to go through a change, and that change would mean a different lifestyle altogether. And it was a lifestyle that he says Mitzrayim had. He says it wasn't only, first of all, it was an agricultural lifestyle versus the nomadic, you know, um, style of being a shepherd. The second thing is the dream was it had to do with stars, which had to do with technology in his mind. Stars is a sign of something beyond new types of wisdom, new types of vistas. So Salvechik has a whole Jewish saying how Yosef was pushing Klal Yisrael to change. And the brothers resisted, but it turns out that there was a lack of understanding. But at the end, Yosef was correct that they needed to be in Mitzrayim, which similarly, he says, that uh, there was the, the, the people who realized that we have to go to Eretz Yisrael and we have to stop living in the European lifestyle, the shtetl lifestyle, but actually have our own country and be involved in working the land and also being involved as leaders, not just takers. So Rav Shach was extremely upset by this uh, this parallel. And, and even though it was only Drush, Rav Shach spends about 25 pages really, um, you know, like, like, like attacking Rav Salvechik and saying, you know, here he is saying things that his uncle would never have said, that's the Briskarov, of course, things that his father probably didn't believe in, his grandfather definitely didn't believe in. And he, 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 he so again, think about who he attacks. Again, eventually he attacks Chocham Avadia. When Chocham Avadia agreed, he attacks the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he attacks Rav Salvechik. All people that we've, you know, we all live by them, we all study their words, right? But Rav Shach was willing to say what they're doing here is not Torah. It's brilliant, but as he says, Rav Shach quotes a Chazal, he says, and he doesn't mean that these are people of Rishoyim. Rav, Chazal, Rav Shach says that, he says, Adif, the Medrash says, it's Adif for the Nochrim, Adif for the Goyim, to be blind. Incredible thing, to be blind. Adif for the Goyim to be blind. And it says, Bilam would have been, right, Bilam would have been better had he not seen, and all the Rishoyim, right, right, so they should have been better. So Rav Shach says it doesn't mean that we want people to walk around blind. It means that what people do is they develop a shita. He says they develop an idea which is not exactly, it has Torah elements, but it's really what they want. And then they create the shita because they work on it and they build on it. Rav Shach says the, the danger is not so much these people, but the fact was that they were able, all three of the people that I just mentioned, but the Lubavitcher Rebbe and, and the Rav were able to articulate shittas that people really felt like and, and lived like. He says the problem is, he says, people who are going, they don't realize the Torah has all the shittas you need. 
And he would say the same thing about Rav Kook, Satsal, and others. These are new shittas. Rav Kook and the Lubavitcher Rebbe and other and the Salvation would say no. Every generation creates a new type of the hair in learning based on things that they see in the world, based on things that they study, but it's really truly a Torah perspective. Mashach was very, like a metal detector, was ready to see what he saw as something that was a, a foreign alloy that was in there, whether it was a na- sense of nationalism, a sense of messianism, or other things. And therefore, he was willing, in his mind, to call the spade a spade. And, and, and he felt that the, the, the idea of being in love with 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 secular wisdom, or um, uh, you know the idea of uh, of the Rebbe's own version of what the ten principles of what it takes to be a Jew. So these things are terrible. It's, he doesn't say he wishes they were sumim, but he says the problem is is that we have these shitas, and once there's a shita, people follow it. Let me give you a, a, a little. Uh, one of the main principles. Can I ask you one question? Yes. Why, why was he in politics? What was his What was his goal? I mean, so, to make so, sure that there was enough money. So and, he was he was asked no, to. Be, he didn't want to build. Did he want to build? He was the, the country. He wanted to make sure that Haredim were represented, that people weren't writing laws. And the Haredim okay, would get buried on, under these new laws. Okay. Making people, you know, making you know. But it wasn't yeah. to build the country. Hmm? My perception, the rabbi can, you know, yeah. my perception is he was trying to protect the Haredim from being, you know, bulldozed by, you know, by non from them. I, I think he saw, and again, it's, it's interesting because he sort of starts being a, a, a power broker in line when Begin becomes prime minister. And I think he felt that it was a Shasa kosher to, if not work directly always, but it was a shasa kosher to make things better. I thought there was a story that he was approached by another god, I don't remember who, to uh, to really, you know, get in the arena. You know, right, supposedly, like I said, the, he ring. was asked, again, to be part of the Moetzas, to be a player, um, and I'm not sure, again, who was it. I, I heard from this rabbi that I quoted earlier that the reason why he was so strong in Ponovich was because the Briskarov used to speak with him and said, look, there's a lot of things I feel that I can't say. I want you to be the dog. I want you to be the, the, the watchdog for me. I want you to be the one who barks for me. And this is, was a Bavusta Memra, that, that he, in a way, had already had that sort of authority. Take a look there's, at... There's another story later in later years. He felt it was too much for him to do alone, and supposedly he went to Rebel Yashiv, Okay, that is true. So, okay, to, so to take on the, and the Rebbitzin basically told him, you know, you know, well, I, I'm most nephew so that my husband can learn. Don't, uh, so, so this don't is really the net, when we get to Rebel Yashif, we're going to talk about it more. But he did when when he, he, he was, this was a tremendous thing. He traveled to Yerushalayim to speak to Rebel Yashif and Rishlam Zalman in 1984 when he uh, when they created Degel Atayra. Which was a breakaway from Aguda. I mean, you know what this means. Aguda was like holy, holy, holy. The Aguda, and he's going to create. He's going to create Degelat right? He knew that he couldn't do it by himself, so he traveled to Yerushalayim to speak to Rabbi Yashem Shlomo I want to tell you one part from Rav Shach. Now, one of the things that I've seen in his in, in his memorim is that he he approaches Chazal like the Balei Musar do, like the deep Balei Musar. 
when I mean deep Ali Musar, I mean that um, he has a, uh, uh, he looks at the Chazal a lot different than you would think. Like with an intellectual perspective that you see from Rav Simcha Zissel and others. Um, and he did actually learn by Rav Yeruchim, of, uh, he, was, he was in uh, the original, um, he had actually been in, in the yeshiva in Europe, he had actually been in Slabotka. And he actually had occurred, right? I, I believe he was originally in Slobodka for a while, and I think he had been, he, he, had, he had had heard Torah from, um, not Rav Yeruchim, right? Um, not Rav Yeruchim, the other uh, great, uh, the, the one who was in, uh, right? Uh, Rav Levenstein. Rebecheska Levenstein was one of his guides on how to learn up a Chazal, Alpi Musar. Take a look at this Chazal that Rashi quotes. V'zacharti is brisi Yaakov, v'yafes brisi Yitzchok, v'yafes brisi Avram, eskor, v'aretz eskor. Take a look at the term Yaakov, the word Yaakov on the board. And, uh, yes. Yes, so this is the famous Rashi, and you're going to hear the way Rav Shach explains it. So, Rashi quotes here, V'chamisha makoymas nichtav mole. Five places, the word, the name Yaakov, instead of being a choylum after the kuf, there's a vav. Eliyahu, there's five times he's called Elia. Yaakov notol ois mishmoi shel Eliyahu. So he took the letter vav. Eravon shiyobov yavasar guulas banov. So Shach wonders, okay, why Eliyahu exactly? And why the Vav? So, what does that mean he took? Now, the simple shot is, is well, that... He, he, wait, 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 wait. wait, wait, wait. Ah, right. So the simple shot in Chazal is that Yaakov's got something that Leo needs, right? So is going to come and get back his Vav, and that means he's coming, Elio is coming back to Klal Yisrael, because Yaakov's got it. Hey, I've got your vav, Elio, you got to come here. Meaning, don't you stay away and not be the goel, you've got to come and be Mavasar the Geula. So Shach says, what Chazal really trying to tell us is something else. He says that there's, he says that, he says, Shnei Alpayim Yimos HaMashiach. From the year 4,000, 4,000 uh, of the Jewish way of counting to the year 6,000, which basically says is the period after after the Churban and after the Tanoim. It's about 240, right? The English date, 240. So I'm coming. So he says that for, for those, for, in all those, from the year 240 on, he says there's been a, 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 an attack on our brain. And, and, and like, we know that it's supposed to lead to Mashiach, but our brains are going in all these different directions. Yaakov says, here's the uh, Ravon. I know there's going to be doubts how we're going to get there. The way we're going to get there is there's a Vav, a straight line. We're going to wait for Eliyahu. It's not going to come in any other way. Yaakov takes the Vav because he says he knows in those from the year 240 all the way for the next 2,000 years, there's going to be desire to, to bring Mashiach, to bring Mashiach in a certain way. It's got to happen this way. We're going to build the land. We're going to buy it up. We're going to have a fight. We're going to do this. We're going to... No. I have the Yeravon. Elio is coming to us. And when Elio shows to us, we've got that Vav, that straight line that Elio is, is, is involved in. That's how Mashiach comes. 
We don't do any sort of uh, of, of advancements. We don't believe that we're going to do it but That was one of his interesting ways of looking at that chazal. He says that's why because Yaakov knew this is his his approach that we're going to have, and we had, of course, messianic movements uh, throughout those two thousand years and, and and worries. So that's the way it has to happen. Why so we, five? What? Why five? Why does I, it could be? It could be there are five times that there have been these breakouts, and the vav of of, of that's sitting there by Yaakov is saying, "No, it's the derech of Elio, it's the Elio derech, and that's going to be the one that counters." Which again means that we wait for the third base amikdosh, we wait for Elio nobody to come, we keep the tyrant mitzvahs, and that's it. Which is part of what he told Begin. He says, "Look, you know, we can give up land if we need to." Um, okay. Next time, we'll talk about what I think is the one of the cardinal principles of Rav Shach, which is living with Mesir HaSnefesh. <coughs> Let me just give you one little teaser. As, a, as I walk out? As a teaser, while you walk out. Most people believe, the, and we've talked about it here in this class, that the ultimate level is to give up your life on Kiddush Hashem. Rav Shach proved from Chazal that's not exactly true. That's not true. And that the greatest thing is the living on Kiddush Hashem. And in fact, he has a whole complete way of understanding, and we'll talk about it next week, the story of Rabbi Akiva's giving up his life in a way that it isn't just this is the greatest madrega of a person who gave up his life to do a mitzvah. He lived his life too. What? He lived his life too. And that, right, and that it's, and even that moment is about living a life which allows Rav Shach to um, to really make the argument, as we'll talk about next week, about what does it mean to live with Messias Nefesh. One last 30-second thing. I believe one of the reasons, and we'll get to it next week, but one of the reasons why that's so important to Rav Shach is because one of the major arguments, and we've talked about it here in this class, to justify modern Israel is, and the approach of the government, is the deaths Nebuch, of the of people who died fighting for the land. So part of what Rashach is going to do, and, we'll, and again, I'm, I don't expect you to love it, is to downplay people who die for a cause, but rather live every moment for a cause. And, and to him, that is really more uh, the pinnacle. And he's actually going to answer up uh, a difficult piece of Gemara based on this principle. Talk about that Mitzvah more next week when we get into the real Mesiras Nefesh aspect. Okay, so this is just hopefully a warm up uh, to this very um, very strong person. Okay, all right, Shkayach again. All right. So this is just hopefully a warm up. Uh, to-